Schedulicity has done it once again. They, uh, uh, in addition to their $5,000 a month grant that they give to a barber or to a hairstylist, um, they just, uh, they just made it so it's uh, a little bit easier to make some money. Yeah. I mean, they uh, came out with a credit card processing uh, payment system called Schedulicity Pays. It's pretty exciting, right? I mean, like they're offering it, uh, they're offering credit card processing for 1.99% or 10 cents a, a swipe, but... And what's cool about that is that they'll get, even give you a uh, free uh, card reader. That's unheard of, right? Because I know I paid like a bunch of money for mine. Yeah. You know? So they're going to give it to you free and then only charge you 1.99% per- percent with a... Uh, 10 cent a swipe fee, right? Yeah, you can't beat that. You can't beat that at all. Um, and also what's really cool too is it works within your Schedule City app, so you don't even have to leave the app or use a different um, like app outside of outside of the, uh, you know, the, the, the already app, right? Yeah, you just stay in one platform. That's can't it. get easier than that either. I'm like, <laughs> I know, right? And you can uh, manage all your uh, all your papers right through there, right? Yeah, all your inventory and everything. It, you know, all major credit cards are accepted. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the best part, which is also what makes Schedulicity incredible, is their their customer service, or as I like to be called, the rock stars. The rock stars. So you still have the love, same. Love the rock stars. The rock stars are are the difference makers in this company, as far as I'm concerned. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. And so you still get that uh, that that same service with them. Um, so I mean, literally getting paid just got a little bit better. Yeah. And then for uh, more information, just visit schedulicitycares.com to find out uh, more information on getting paid. Schedulicity cares. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey and of course I sit with my bud. Tony, what's up, man? What's going on? Uh, now I'm just your bud, not your best bud anymore. <laughs> my best bud. Right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> my best bud, Tony. <laughs> Been demoted. <laughs> you got a new best bud. <laughs> not sitting with me. <laughs> Stupid. What's going on, brother? Nothing, man. I'm uh I mean today's podcast is exciting. We um once again, it's kind of like, you know, we like we talked to Graham Webb and we and we talked to uh uh Trevor. Um it's kind of like a life rung because uh, this guy has kind of like indirectly been uh, been in our life a little. Yeah, I mean, the lineage and his family has been in our industry for a while as well. Certainly in ours, yeah, right? Yeah, and they uh, impact the D.C. metropolitan area in a, in a, in a good way. And so, yeah. It, and, and absolutely, I mean, he, he, uh, he uh, didn't, uh, didn't shy away from the industry and kind of uh, made a name for himself. And like, um, kind of, uh, he started like the first men's grooming. I don't know, men. I can recall. And I can recall, Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, like when I heard it was, I was actually like, I remember when uh, Peruse reached out to me and he was like, yeah, we're doing this thing. Um, and I was kind of like, huh, that sounds weird. I've never heard of it. Like, I've never heard of like this men's, you know, market. Again, we'll get into it, but it had to be 15 years ago, right? 10, yeah. 15 years ago? Probably longer, more than that. Probably more than that, right? So, I mean, it was the first time that I kind of heard about like a, a, a the men's space, right? Right. And especially a men's space in, in, a, in a high level kind of um area you know not not being like your, your five dollar barber and i kind of like hold them responsible almost in in at least from my vision in in um in restarting kind of that 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 space a hundred percent i'm i'm totally excited what how you know all that you know that started so so should we get in? So today we're talking to uh, Michael Gilman, and Michael started um, the Grooming Lounge, which again in in the DC area was was the first kind of like men's. Again, I don't even know what the word is: barbershop or beauty shop or beauty salon. I don't know. You know, I don't even men's know what beauty. Is. Like beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll correct us, right? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So, but that's that's and that's toward the latter years. I mean, he's his family's been in the industry way before that. So absolutely. Absolutely. So should we get in? Yeah. So Mr. Michael Gilman, founder of the Grooming Lounge, welcome to your day off. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sure. Absolutely. I, I'm glad we finally got to do it because I know that we've been, uh, we've been sitting on this for a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I remember when you guys first started and you guys have uh, blown up. So uh, 
Now I'm honored that you'll actually have me on. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm honored that you said that because uh, the industry certainly has been very, very, very kind to, uh, to us. So yeah, thanks, yeah. man. Yeah. Thank you to the industry as well. Yeah. yeah. Bless. Bless. So, so Michael, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Rockville, Maryland. So, uh, you know, DC suburbs. He's one of us. Yeah. One of our homies. Right. <laughs> Are you guys from Frederick? Well, we grew up in Montgomery County. I, I grew up in Montgomery County as well. Like I grew up between like Silver Spring and Gaithersburg. Sure. Okay. I grew up in PG County. And then uh, my junior year of high school, I moved out uh, to Montgomery County. And that's when I met Corey. Okay. Hey. Oh, wow. You guys my best nice. bud. My best bud over right. here, man. Best bud ever since. <laughs> well, we were until today. <laughs> I know we're just bud. I just found out. <laughs> Stupid. Um, so <laughs> enough about us, Tony. Um, Michael, so how did you find the industry or the industry found you or were you born into it? Give us, give us that jazz. Yeah. So um, not boring you with too much information, but I was, I was born into it and, and grew up in it. I, uh, my grandfather, um, in the late 1930s started uh, Davidson Beauty Supply, which is uh, a distributorship, which is now part, was part of Alberto Culver and, you know, has been part of this roll up of all these distributorships. But he started in 1939 and eventually my dad, Ken, um, took the business over and really exploded it into a, a powerhouse up and down the East Coast. Um, and while I only worked there for about a year right before they sold the business um, because I wanted to be part of the family business at some right. point. Um, you know, I grew up in it because I, you know, worked all the hair shows they had and me and my idiot friends would screw up their inventory during the summer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> things like that dinner table conversation. So while I'm not a, a hairdresser, I wish I had the talent to do that. I really just don't have that. That part of my mind doesn't work. I wish I could. Um, I grew up, you know, in and around salons, um, on a weekly basis from the time I was five years old really? doing stuff with my folks. Wow. That's cool. How many at, at, at the peak, do you know how many stores that Davidson's had up and down these coast? I think they almost had 40 stores and they had maybe close to 200 or more employees. I, I might be lowballing that, but I think they, they might have more employees than that, but they were everywhere from uh, like right below New York, all the way down to South Carolina in terms of coverage with some, you know, some significant brands. It's funny, you know, as a as a young male teenager, you're either in like uh, when you're at these hair shows because all these you know these women, or you're just totally scared, and embarrassed, and you're like you want to hide your face, but or both, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Um, so, all right, so your 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 dad took over. Yep, and he like you said, he exploded the business. Yep. At what point? Did, uh, well, even before that, I mean, where was like before your dad exploded the business, yeah. like how many, you know, what did your grandfather do? Like, how did he find the market and stuff? Do you know that story? Yeah, it's a, it's really an awesome, cool business story of just a guy yeah. who was, um, just a business, a business guy. He wasn't, he wasn't a hairdresser. He, my grandfather, Harry, who was a terrific, a terrific guy. I guess that's a good name for, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather, Harry, um, in, you know, like the late thirties, he got a job working for somebody who was making like permanent wave rods or papers, I think it was at that time and bobby pins. And he was a salesperson for them and he was doing it around the DC area. He lived, uh, you know, like near 14th street or somewhere down there. That was his route, which, you know, was not what, that is nowadays, certainly. No, right. Um, and he was just selling to the salons out there, permanent wave rods and, and bobby pins. And eventually like he got a, a <laughs> what's that? Sorry. It seems like a tough sell, man. It was a tough sell, but eventually he got some business going and borrowed 200 bucks from his brother-in-law and said, you know, I'm going to buy a, a truckload of this stuff myself and sell it. And he did that. And started going to these, you know, salons and uh, beauty shops, I guess, as they referred to at that time, and and selling this stuff. And it just slowly snowballed where they would buy one thing from him, and then he got some shampoo lines, and then he got a couple other things. But I, I think the thing that he did, which I think really made an impact on the business, is he wasn't a hairdresser, but he realized that you know you can have all this stuff, but if you don't teach people how to use it, you're not doing any good. 
Right. So he learned, I mean, he couldn't have been less of a hairdresser. He did not have that kind of vision for doing that kind of stuff. He learned how to do perms and would not only, you know, he'd say, I'm going to sell you these, these rods and these bobby pins and these wave, this wave, uh, these wave products, but I'm also going to show you how to do it. And kind of with those in hand, I kind of set up a little bit of the model of the professional beauty industry where I'm not just going to give you the products. I'm going to tell you how to use them and make your guests or customers look great and teach you how to be successful. That's kind of genius. You know, if you think about it, you know, that's, that's amazing. That's someone who's, you know, thinking way ahead because, you know, it sounds like nothing, nothing like that was, was around. Right. I think there was maybe some people in other parts of the country, but I mean, he knew customer service. He knew that the salon or the hairstylist success would be his success. So he's, he, you know, he realized that just giving people these rods or giving them these bobby pins and not showing them how to use them, that's just making a sale. I'm not creating a relationship. I'm not helping them succeed. And, uh, you know, if I do help them succeed, you know, in the end, I'll do succeed and I'll, and I'll grow my business. And so that's what he did. And, and I know their first big line, I was talking to my dad the other day, their first big line, they had Redkin, um, which I think was probably the first significant professional line. And that was a line they had back in maybe the fifties um, wow. that they really kind of took off with or started on an upward t- trajectory with. That's a cr- incredible. That's a, uh, what's the old adage? Give a man a fish eats for a day. You know, yep. and his, his, his grandfather kind of figured that out. Right. So yeah. he, uh, he taught him how to fish. Yep. Right. That's pretty cool. Yep. So how did your dad get into it then? So my dad was actually, it's, it's actually my, my mother's dad started at Davidson and my dad, my parents went to Ohio state, um, moved back here cause my mom was a DC native and uh, my dad was going to go to law school and just start working, I think in the warehouse or maybe selling some, uh, maybe had a couple sales outlets. He had a couple salons that he called on, um, started working there and just saw this kind of vision for, uh, exploding what my grandfather had already built. Uh, and so with that, they started to make relationships with some other distributors. They, you know, they were real tight with, uh, the Redkin people. I know Paula Kent who started Redkin and uh, I think it was Jerry Redding was the other, um, guy. I didn't even know this until the other day. That's where the Redkin came from, Redding and uh, Paula Kent. Did you guys know that? No. <laughs> I didn't know no, that either. I knew that. <laughs> I knew that, but I came up in the Redkin world, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, that's pretty cool. So they did that. And those, those people were of the same mindset that let's give stylists and salons business information and information on how to provide better services to their guests. So they'll come back and back and back. And so, you know, they blew that out and were one of the first people to start having classes, both technical and business classes, showing the stylist or the salon how to be successful. And based on that reputation, they were able to get other brands to come on board. Um, well, I think it was the reverse other brands who were nothing at the time, like a matrix or a Paul Mitchell kind of came to them and said, we got something really good. Would you, uh, would you be opposed to carrying it? And my dad tells a story all the time about, you know, JP literally waiting outside their door um, when they had a warehouse on Park Road in DC saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stay here until you guys uh, agree to carry this line. And he was getting picked up, I think by his sister-in-law because he didn't have enough money to stay at a hotel or to get a cab. And uh, (laughs) it seemed like a pretty good decision to, to pick up that line. That's pretty funny. Did what did I thought I heard a story where JP, did, did he used to be like a rep in the area or something? Didn't he used to sell products in the area for one of the distributors? Yeah, he was that, from the area. Is, yeah, I don't I know. He was him and Gino. Yeah, yeah, Gino told a story. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what he, what he was a rep, but it's, it is funny. If you're interested, my dad told me the story about how they literally picked up Paul Mitchell. Paul Mitchell was the, the stylist, Paul Mitchell, not JP, lived in Hawaii mm-hmm. and was like a stylist of, of, of note. And they were having him in for a, uh, for a class, I think, at the Mayflower Hotel down in D.C. And they had like 1,200 people signed up to come take a class at the Mayflower, which sounds like a significant amount of people back then to come to an educational class. And, uh, and he said, you know, Ken, I'm coming up, I've come up with some, some potions and lotions and styling stuff, and I'd really like you to carry it. And I think my dad said, 
you know, that's really great, Paul. And um, <laughs> you should be super proud of yourself. But we got, we got bigger fish to fry. You know, we got Helene Curtis and we got all this other stuff that, that now probably sounds funny. And he, <laughs> he said, listen, I'm going to come down to do this show. I don't know if I can get the results with the products that I'm using um, or that you already carry that I would get with my own stuff. So if you don't mind, um, there's a distributor in Pennsylvania who's cutting me off. I'll drive all the stuff down in a truck, sell it at the show. And if you don't like it, I'll take it all back. Wow. And, uh, I don't think they had a problem selling it. And it was just kind of, you know, the rest is history from there. That's incredible, right? What a it's, cool story. It amazes me how things come together. I know it is, right? Yeah. Right. And, and just like, and, and it's hard to think that, that, that at some point, Paul Mitchell wasn't a name in our industry, right? So, yeah. to, to, so to kind of like think about like how it was perseverance and, 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 and maybe desperation too that got him into a, that, that, that got him the relationship with Davidson. Yeah. You know, a billionaire or two later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a couple of billionaires. Later. Yeah. I, I always think about it that, you know, you always hear people tell these rags to riches stories and, you know, not that you guys are rags to riches, but, you know, in your own business, you've seen, you guys started just, Hey, we'll do a podcast. And now it's something that tons of people listen to, but these guys, you know, when I've heard JP or, Arnie Miller from Matrix, when they told their stories, oh, you know, we grinded it out, we knocked on doors, we sat outside. You know, you kind of think to yourself, oh, this is BS, but it's really not. You know, it's really not. They, ground, they work 25, 25 hours a day to, to get these businesses off and believed in it more than anybody else. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's, well, honestly, what, what we've learned in the last 18, and I'm sure you've learned this a couple of times, Michael, is that that's the secret sauce. Yep. Right. That's the secret sauce to, 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 to being, to, and I don't want to use the word successful, but, 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 but to having, um, to create something, it just takes that effort to do it. Yeah. You know just what I mean? Being relentless. Yeah. yeah exactly. That, that, that hustle in a good way is what it's right. all about. Not, not the, not the negative aspect of hustle, but kind of having that hustle and just being honest and kind of a, not an asshole. Excuse my friend. Um, <laughs> that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's all right. We, we kind of live in trying not to be an asshole, but yeah. you know, sometimes we fail at that as well. <laughs> so Michael, is your mom's maiden name Davidson? Yep. Yeah. Judy Davidson. Judy Davidson. Yep. That's pretty cool. I mean, I can't, you know, for people that are outside of the DC area that, that, that may be listening, I can't tell you how big Davidson was. I mean, Davidson was, and I think, is it the same? Is it, is it now what, did Cosmoprof take that over or, yeah. or I'm sure there, there was a chain around by that, but, but cause I know that they, I know that the Davidson, what used to be the Davidson stores are now Cosmoprof. Stores. Yep. Yeah. So it was initially, it was, uh, they were bought by Alberto Culver who had just bought, I think Sally's, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously a different animal, but yeah, now they're all Cosmoprof, um, and I don't know how many stores they have. I, I, I think I, I haven't been in it so long, but I know that the uh, that the distribution business and the whole professional beauty business is so different from what it was twenty years ago. Completely. I mean, that's we got in the industry twenty years ago. You know, yeah. I remember. I remember like like being in hair school and getting our Davidson's card and how proud you were. Kind of like, it was kind of like getting your desk or getting on the right. floor or something. You're like, man, I got a Davidson card. Like I'm part of some club now. Right. right. Remember that feeling? It was yep. so cool. Well, for me, it was so cool because you know, all the, all the, the girls I went to high school with, if I could get them a Davidson card, you know, oh, you were popular, right? <laughs> yeah. connection because they couldn't get this stuff. They could walk in and, and get it. But, uh, yeah, those days are long over. After the company sold, you know, I, I got calls from people. I've had a Davidson card for 15 years. You know, they won't right. let me in anymore. Uh, nope. <laughs> Sorry, I can't <laughs> help you, you now. To, you have to go to the salon and pay full price. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> like, thanks, Dad. I lost a lot of friends now. Yeah, what more? <laughs> he needed to get his priorities straight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Ken. Right. <laughs> Hook us up, man. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. So it sounds like the whole family has a, the entrepreneurial spirit. Spirit, yeah, right? no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, everybody did. Even my, my mother was involved in Davidson. She was very in, involved in the, uh, in the education side. And so, you know, she really believed that creating success for the hairstylist and salon owner was what was going to make Davidson successful and, and, uh, stylists and salon successful. Um, and so they just did so much education. I, I don't know if they did more than other distributors, but they were pushing it big time, whether it be Gino or getting guest artists in or whoever it was, you know, it was all about education, learning, growing, teaching people things that they were never exposed to before. Um, and yeah, so I just grew up in a real entrepreneurial family. Both my, 
parents were entrepreneurs. My grandfather was obviously a big entrepreneur. And I always wanted to from the time I was in high school. Uh, you know, I was the kid selling gum, you know, buying a pack of gum and selling gum. And then when I was in college having, you know, numerous kind of silly failed businesses. But I always wanted to do something on my own. I was proud of what my parents had done. I didn't think I'd ever be in the industry. Um, but I always knew I wanted to do something myself and kind of really make a name or or plot out my own kind of piece of land. I didn't want to kind of ride on what they had built. Although I was proud of it, I wanted to do my own thing. Did you, do you have siblings, Michael? Yeah, I have a sister. And how is her entrepreneurial spirit? She, I wouldn't say that she's an entrepreneur. She, well, she's a teacher. Um, okay. But she did work at the company for a while. Um, so I don't know that she's an entrepreneur, but she definitely gets it. She's one of these people who can get along with anyone. She actually right. was HR at the company for a while and was just kind of the person that everybody goes to. They have a problem or want to tell something good. You know, she's just one of these really special, kind, kind people that kind of brings people together. I'd love to have her as part of the business just because she creates that, that family atmosphere that, that you can depend on me, will be around for whatever you need type of, of feeling. Love that. So before you started the grooming lounge, what kind of, uh, what kind of day jobs did you have before, uh, before the spirit caught you? Um, well, I, when I got out of college, uh, I, I studied uh, journalism. I wanted to be a writer. Uh, but specifically, I, I thought I was really good in what I think one of the only things I'm good at, a master of a lot of things. I mean, a, a jack of all trades, but really kind of a master of none. I was a really good writer. And so I studied journalism. And when I got out of school, I wanted to get a job in advertising, writing copy. And uh, they weren't really given those jobs out. So I went to a Davidson show and one of the reps from, from Paul Mitchell was there. And I said, is there anybody, you guys ever need anybody in advertising or marketing? Um, and he put me in touch with a woman who ran Paul Mitchell's advertising agency out in California and talked to her on the phone and she said, oh, yeah, we just had a woman who was kind of our assistant or our associate in PR leave. Uh, send me a few writing samples. And if you want the job, come on out. This was in uh, Sonoma County, California. I was 22 years old. I just said, okay. So got in my car and drove out there and started doing PR and advertising for Paul Mitchell. Um, so wow. that was my first real toe dip uh, into, the, into the industry outside of what I had done with my family. It was an, just an awesome experience. Did, uh, did, uh, the connection between, uh, Paul Mitchell and your dad help get the job or? I'm sure it didn't hurt. <laughs> I'm, sure it didn't, I'm sure it didn't hurt. I don't think he put in a word for me, but I, the, the woman's name was Roz Johnson who had done Paul Mitchell's advertising forever. Um, and she was kind of a 40 year old spiritual hippie who had grown up with, with, with Paul Mitchell and JP and so much so that she wanted to have her office, uh, not in LA where they were or in that LA area, but she was up in Sonoma and, you know, she lived in a, on like a winery type thing. And her husband was a designer and, uh, she was a real free spirit, but had a knack for knowing advertising and good marketing and good branding. And, uh, so she gave me a shot I went out there and worked my ass off, you know, soaked up as much as I could, uh, for a couple of years and uh, then moved on from there. But I got a ton of great experience uh, out there and met a lot of industry people. And that, it was a great company to work for. And she was amazing to work for. I love that. Yeah. You know, so, so from the Paul Mitchell gig, uh, what happened after that? So I worked there for a while and Sonoma County in California is like such a great, beautiful place. But when you're like 22 and single, that's not, <laughs> the place to be you know it's it's people you can't who, drop the davidson's card uh, nobody wants anymore. nobody wants a davidson's card there <laughs> nobody's interested uh so i wanted to go uh be in a more metropolitan city where there's some more young people and, and kind of continue my career so uh i had a bunch of friends from college that lived in chicago and i just moved without a job because there wasn't you know uh whatever all those job boards are now, they didn't exist. I just hopped in a car, drove to Chicago, moved in with a couple of friends and got a uh, job at a PR and advertising agency called Ketchum, um, which is a big agency. And my account worked on a Miller Brewing account. So did uh, marketing and advertising and copywriting for Miller. And then uh, kind of my claim to fame there was that we got the job to reintroduce, uh, do you remember the Life Zero commercials with Mikey? Yeah, sure. Yeah. When kind of you weird, 
I'm not Mikey. I am Mikey, <laughs> but I'm not that Mikey. Um, but yeah, that was our big thing is that we came up with the idea to reintroduce a new Mikey, you know, 30 years after he had originally launched. And so uh-huh. we did that. And uh, it was this huge PR coup for, for Life Serial. And we went all around the country looking for the new Mikey. Um, so oh, wow. between that and Miller Beer, I did PR and advertising for them in Chicago um, and lived there for about four or five years. And that's kind of that's kind of where a little bit of the nugget or the idea for grooming lounge came about because, uh, on a trip home from Chicago to visit my folks and when they were having one of these Davidson mid Atlantic beauty shows, I would come in, I would go to their show. I would help out. I would, you know, I'm sure screw registers up and, you know, do all that kind of <laughs> sense. My, uh, I would always grab bags full of junk, you know, all the stuff that people were giving out. Uh, and I, would take those bags and then I'd see my friends who I hadn't seen forever at home. And these are not what I would categorize, you know, I'm sure they're all very successful and do well now, but I wouldn't call them, you know, super well-groomed guys. I wouldn't, wouldn't have put them in that metrosexual category um, <laughs> back then. And I remember I, whatever we had, there was eye cream, there was shampoo, there were bath salts. And I gave them this stuff. And I very clearly remember my friend Andrew calling me like a week or two afterwards and saying, Gilman, like that bath salt you gave me is amazing. <laughs> and I, a light bulb went off and I said, this guy is like, one, he's bathing. Two, like he's sitting in bath salts. I cannot believe it. There's got to be a market here. And then I just put it on the back burner for a bit. But that really made me think this was probably 96, 97. It just, it just put kind of a little light bulb above my head that said, there could really be something here. If these slobs are doing this, Imagine mm-hmm. what a guy who really needs to take care of himself and wants to look good would do. And because every time I'd ask them, like, why don't you get the eye cream yourself? Or if you're losing your hair, go to your stylist and get something. They say, oh, man, she's, she's cute. I feel like an idiot. I, I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to do that. Right. So that, 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 that kind of started the process. That was the first kind of light bulb that went off for, for, for men's grooming being a big thing in the grooming lounge. It was back in the 90s. It was only salons and barbershop like old school barbershop yeah i hadn't heard of anything that was was for men absolutely and even even and you know we kind of came up in the industry in the 90s and there wasn't even we didn't we weren't overwhelmed with with men in the salons anyways no because it was just becoming unisex salons right like in right. the late 80s or you know in the 80s like right it carried into the 90s there was no men's grooming nope yeah. nope there was like you know the the 12 dollar barbershop not that there's anything wrong with that, but there was that. And then there was salons or go to haircuttery. That was it. Yeah, that was it. Um, have you thanked Andrew for your career? I have. <laughs> <laughs> for being a slob. Did you thank Andrew for being a slob? I always tell them this. I don't think they read or listen to podcasts, so I don't know if they'll hear this. But yeah, I have talked to, I'm still friendly with all those guys. And I always joke with them that they were kind of the reason that this whole thing started. Right. <laughs> you disgusting pigs. <laughs> you, <laughs> you slobs. Right. Change in America. By the way, I think they have discontinued their uh, their grooming practices based on more recent. Right. Um, Are you saying they're slobs again? I'm just not. I'm saying they're not taking <laughs> I think people take better care of themselves. Uh, somebody took the fifth. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So let's fast forward up. So so you go, wow, there's a market here, right? So how did how did how did it go? And, 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 and what was the next steps in that? Yeah. So a- after that, I moved to New York. I, I, I lived in New York for about four years with my current, um, with my, with not my current, I don't have any others, but my wife and, <laughs> and went back and forth to beauty shows. And then I, and then when I, I worked in marketing and PR there and moved back to DC because I knew that Davidson was going to eventually sell based on some conversations I had with my dad. And I said, you know, I just, I just want to be in there and help, you know, I don't even care about getting paid or anything. I just want to be part of the company in some aspect before it sold. Cause it's my family history and everybody's, you know, it afforded me a nice lifestyle growing up and sure. I, I appreciate it. I wanted to kind of be part of it. So uh, I moved back to DC, started working for them, went to a show. Uh, and at that show, I ran into Peruse, who was my former business partner who worked at Jungle Care. Um, right. I don't know if you guys remember Jungle yeah, Care. Totally. Oh, I don't yeah. know if it's still around. Michael, you know what? I might have a bottle of Jungle Care floating around somewhere. <laughs> but it was like, again, I mean, uh, Peruse being on the front end of that market too. I mean, it was like, it was like the first like all kids brand that I kind of, that I yeah. kind of knew. 
Yeah, so they carry Davidson carried Jungle Care. How'd you know Peru's? Was that just through Davidson? I didn't know him at all. Bobby, oh, oh. Bobby who had started that, um, and I won't even try to pronounce Bobby's last name. I know we just called him Bobby Batman, um, <laughs> who started Jungle Care. And I don't know what Peru's was there. He, I think he basically ran the company. Um, was his right-hand man, and they had a huge booth, and they were doing blowouts of little girls' hair at the show. You know, they had a giant booth, and were doing blowouts. And went over and just started chatting with him. Um, and I had a real, I was re- very into photography at the time. And he was very into doing photo shoots and stuff like that. And called me up a couple weeks later and said, hey, you know what? I really enjoy talking to you. We should do a business together. And I said, all right, let's, let's chat. <laughs> <laughs> we met at a place called Tubby's Diner in Beltsville, Maryland. Um, oh, boy down the street from Davidson and said, I don't know what the idea is, but let's come up with something. Let's do something. Sounds good. And, uh, I think later on we had subsequent meetings. I relayed the story about my friends. Um, and then I also relayed the story about how before I got married, my wife said, you got to go get a manicure. Your nails are gross. Mm -hmm. And I went into a women's nail salon and it wasn't their issue. It was my issue. I liked getting the manicure, but I felt, you know, super uncomfortable, just like, my friends had said they felt uncomfortable going into women's salon to get stuff done. Uh, I felt super uncomfortable. I said, you know what, if I, if, if I could get this at a place that I felt comfortable where I could watch TV um, and I wasn't, you know, out in the open, it would be great. And, you know, we batted around these ideas back and forth and he was a, a hairdresser and did a lot of men's hair. And we said, God, wouldn't it be cool if we could create uh, not only shops for guys that could do this to get services that they currently get like haircuts, but do it in an environment that makes them feel comfortable. But also they would get services they would never think about because they were too embarrassed or unenlightened about what the benefits were. Um, you know, like facials or even waxing that guys would say like, I'm not going to get this done because I, I feel like an ass going in there. I, I'm totally yeah. self-conscious. Um, mm-hmm. So we said, what if we could create destinations for guys, one being a store and one being a website where guys could go to get the products they need and the advice they need to use those products um, so that was it. And we said, we had no idea how to do it, but, um, I considered myself a sharp business guy. I knew that Peru's could talk to anybody about anything. And <laughs> we said between the two of those, you know, we'll figure something out. And so we started getting to work on some kind of business plan to open up our first grooming lounge shop and, uh, and website too. So uh, I'm just trying to say, so you're at the, t- did you guys know immediately? Like once you'd like, okay, let's do this. I mean, let's like, like I, how long did it take you to kind of like jump two feet in, so to speak? I went in right away. I thought it was a fantastic idea. Well, it was your idea. Of course you thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, we came up with it together, but I thought it was good too. And I knew that I, I, you know, I knew I needed a way to support myself, but I, maybe you're too dumb or ignorant at that time, which I was to think that failure was an option. I was like, this is a good thing. This will work. There's tons of guys who want to take care of themselves, um, who have no outlet to do it and are too embarrassed to get, not only mainstream stuff like shampoo, but, you know, forget about getting something if you have bags under your eyes or, or, you know, are embarrassed about going to the beach with hairy shoulders. Like there's, there was, there was nothing out there. So I knew that that was a home run and we both thought it was a home run, but it, we, we soon realized that not everybody else thought it was really the same home run that (laughs) quickly after we wrote up a business plan. But I mean, between the two of you guys, I mean, with your, your marketing background and writing background and his, you know, hairdressing yep. background, I mean, it does sound like a, a marriage made in heaven, right? I mean, if you're going to do an online business and a storefront, yep. I get the best of both worlds between the both of you. Yeah, it was really good. And we both had, we, I would both, I, I considered us both, um, and Peru's probably even to a bigger extent to me, and this is a compliment. Uh, customer service snobs, meaning like we would just complain like, oh, I went here and this person was so rude or I went there and I didn't get great service. And we both came to the point where we said, you know, service is so bad everywhere. Imagine if your service is just good, Um, not to mention if it's amazing. So if you give guys just unbelievable service and really care about them and and really be empathetic and genuine, uh, the places you can go and, and the kind of raving fans you'll create would be amazing. So we, we both had that aspect in addition to, you know, the idea and the drive to make it work. 
Um, and so all those things together kind of set us down a path uh, for success. That's amazing. You, you mentioned earlier that, um, that not everybody thought it was a great idea. Did you guys have um, trouble with funding? And, and, oh, and, and yeah. Kind of, yeah, I just think like everybody. I remember right when we started, we wanted to open a shop right away. Uh, right. And we wanted to open it in D.C. because that's where we're both located. Uh, but we wanted to be kind of on a corner of Maine and Maine. We didn't want to be in a side strip mall with this kind of concept just because we thought it would be we – needed, we needed some awareness. Uh, right. So when we went to the big landlords downtown with this business plan about opening an upscale men's barbershop and spa that was going to charge at that time, you know, 40 or 50 bucks for a haircut and provide manicures and stuff like that. I very clearly remember the landlord who's now our landlord. Um, one of the guys saying, you know, it's a terrific idea and good for you, Mike, you know, thumbs up, but no guy in DC is paying 50 bucks for a haircut or getting a manicure mm-hmm. on a Tuesday. So, uh, you know, I really applaud your entrepreneurial spirit, but go out there and, and, and prove your concept and then come back to me a little bit later. So that, uh, that didn't make us feel, you know, super confident. So we said, oh, you know what? Screw them. We're going to, we'll, we'll start this website. And that was right at the time of the dot-com boom. Um, mm-hmm. And so we went to all these places to build us a website and they were literally telling us, well, we could build you a great website for a half a million dollars. We can do it for a million dollars. And so that's when we kind of looked at each other and we're like, what are we going to do? Like, right. you know, had like 12 grand between us. Um, and we found a way to create a Yahoo online store uh, for $4,000 design end to end. And we put up our 15 products that we were carrying on there. And uh, we did the pick, pack and ship out of my basement and wow. did that for a long time um, until we were able to get enough press since we were the first ones in that market, uh, able to get enough press from you know Playboy and GQ and Esquire and all these places. And with that, we were able to go to the landlord and the landlord then said, well, you know, you, you got me now. I'm kind of interested, you know, just put your house up and, uh, Whoa. and, uh, and we'll rent you the space, but we believed in it enough. And there was a lot of trials and tribulations with the website, but, um, some success that we had there enabled us to convince a landlord to give us a spot. Okay. Back up a little bit. There's still have your so house. many questions. Yeah. You still have your house. I have a new house, but not, not that much bigger. I'm not bragging. That's the new house. <laughs> the house I lived in was, was so small and it was, pick pack and ship in the basement and uh, my wife did all the pick packing and shipping and would take the four orders that we got a day on groominglarge.com to the post office. Wow. That was, that well, was um, that's how it worked. Oh my God, I, have, I have so many questions, Michael. Uh, back up again. Let's sit back at the table in Beltsville or wherever this happened, but like, how'd you come up with the name and what were the other, what were the, uh, what were the other names that you guys were considering? They were terrible. The other names. I, I remember we had a name and we actually bought from, I can't remember who the, there was no GoDaddy back then, but the second we had an idea, we would go get the domain name. Sure. So I think Peru's had the name Orange Flip, which was terrible. Um, <laughs> and we laughed Flip. about that, but we were like, that's different. Um, and now, now, now it's Orange Theory. <laughs> right. And we were calling it like Capital Men's Grooming since it was going to be in DC or DC Grooming. And I think one time we were just sitting around and I said, what about like grooming lounge? That sounds like a, a, a really good name because mm-hmm. there's a lounger where guys are going to sit. Um, and it's not, you know, if you call it salon or something uh, at that time, I think some guys would be scared off. It's certainly more mainstream now and you wouldn't have that trepidation from guys. Uh, but the name just came and the second we heard it, I don't even know if Peru said it or if I said, it. I honestly have no idea. Uh, I'm sure Peruz will take credit. He can take credit. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, we both just knew that that was the name and, uh, and just rolled with it and got, you know, that website domain. And it's funny now because for better or worse, grooming lounge is like the Q-tips name for an upscale men's barbershop. You know, sure. if you yeah. do a Google search, it's Ted's grooming lounge, Bob's grooming lounge, elephant in the room, grooming lounge. Right. They're all over the place. Um, it's That's not good cool for us word. search engine wise, but um, I guess it's good because I'll have people who come and say, oh yeah, I just visited your store in Texas. Um, and I really enjoyed it. 
And I would say, well, wow. we don't have a store in Texas. So you said that you were selling like products off of the, um, off of the website, but those weren't grooming lounge products, right? What were you selling? No, we had, I, I remember the exact brands that we had now. There was, there, was, there was maybe two men's brands at the time. And this was, we launched the website. We came up with the idea in like 99. And I think we launched the website in late 2000, like right around the holidays. Right. Um, we, we, we opened it to, to crickets. It was quite an event. Um, we had, there was a brand called Anthony Logistics. Um, there was a guy, Anthony, out of New York who created his own line. So we carried his full line, which might have been like eight products. Uh, we carried a product called Heavy Duty, which I don't even know where they are now. They had like some hand creams and lotions. We carried True Fit and Hill, which is a, a famous British brand. I think they had the oldest barbershop in the world in London. That's pretty cool. We also carried a couple Molten Brown SKUs. Somehow I became friendly with the woman who distributed Molten Brown. Um, and we carried a couple of Molten Brown. All in all, we probably had 20 SKUs. And I think, actually, I think we carried Nioxin too, because we knew there was a lot of guys with thinning hair uh, who wanted some products. So we probably had 20 or 25 SKUs on this website. And we also had a lot of advice that we had written up uh, that Peruz and I put together with barber friends of ours uh, or stylist friends of ours to answer questions because we knew that guys didn't know where to get the products, but we knew even more so they had no idea how to use the products. <laughs> You're all the way back to, uh, to Harry, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's what we did. And it was a pick, pack and ship out of our basement. Every order got faxed in the fax machine would go off, uh, you know, through Yahoo. And I would hop out of bed no matter where I was. Like it was. <laughs> so how, it was so how did you find those brands? Just did a lot of research. I, you know, like some of them I heard through Davidson, um, and we couldn't necessarily carry salon brands cause we didn't really have a shop at that time. And no salon brands wanted to sell online. Um, because <laughs> things have changed remember that? I think, uh, sure. uh, you said Davis, the Davison's carry any men's brands or no, it was just, Oh, you know what they had? We carried, I'm sorry. We carried crew. We had American crew. So crew was the, the brand. They had been around a couple of years. So we carried a lot of American crew, but crew and that Anthony logistics, those were the, those were the only two men's brands. There were some, there were some sub brands from some of the other brands like Sebastian might've had a men's brand or something, but we didn't carry that. But, but crew was a big one. Yeah. I totally spaced on, on American crew. <laughs> That's cool. So, so uh, then you guys, you had the website and then, and then um, your landlord was like, yeah, cool. Let's uh, we'll, we'll take a chance on you now. As much as you're taking a chance when you have to fully guarantee your lease, they took a chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need to listen to the podcast we did with uh, Peter Mahoney. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He did a podcast called, uh, uh, what was it called? Seven Pitfalls. No, 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 no. The leasing one. It, uh, leasing for profit. It oh, was leasing, leasing, yeah. It's called leasing for profit and, and what not to put up in your lease if you're going to do it for profit. Yeah, I, I, I get it. If we had another option, I would have been all in. Young, sometimes that's all you have, right? Yeah. And it was a small house. It wasn't, it wasn't very big. So, um, so how much was the um, how much was the, the the website doing to get the attention of, of the landlord or being like oh, okay that maybe these guys can make a go of it? I, I think it was more the press that we were getting because we were literally the only game in town selling me multiple men's brands online, right. uh, and the internet wasn't what it was today. So uh, you know people weren't searching everywhere. So once they found out about us and what we carry, they would come right to our site. But I think it was, it wasn't so much the sales that we had online, although we were doing better and better. It was mm -hmm. more so the publicity that we were able to generate by having this website. And most people just looked at it. And the angle I took being an old kind of PR guy was, Hey, here's stuff for the closeted guy, not sexually, obviously the closeted guy who wants to look good, who wants to be the metrosexual, who wants to have great skin, great hair and all this stuff, but is too embarrassed. He can sit in his underwear on his computer and order all the stuff he needs to look and feel better. Um, and so we had all that stuff, whether it was shaving stuff or hair removal stuff or eye cream, you know, we had a good selection of that stuff. So the guy wouldn't have, even have to leave his house to go get that stuff. I love that. So your PR marketing background was, you know, did you like kind of hunt these uh, like articles out like a playboy or GQ or 1000%. I mean, I was the, I was the PR guy. So I would, call the editor and say, you know, you have grooming articles all the time. We've got a site where a guy can get the stuff he needs 
to take care of bags under his eyes or he can get help for thinning hair. Um, and he can come and we'll also give him advice on how to use it. We'll ship it right to his door. He doesn't even have to leave his house to get this stuff. And uh, it was an easy, I, I've done hard pitches in the past for mm -hmm. things like trying to sell beer through PR is hard. Everybody's got beer. Nobody feels, nobody's got like this emotional attachment to beer. Um, but you know, this was helping guys feel better and look better about themselves. And there was also kind of a funny nature. People kind of, guys are able to make fun of themselves and we were able to make fun of themselves that guys are kind of in these back alleys. You know, we were like the drug dealers of men's grooming, like, Hey, come and get this, this <laughs> or get this moisturizer or get this, whatever to take the hair off your chest. Um, and there was kind of a humor to it, and there was also a practical use for it. So when I called these, it was, it was an easy pitch, you know, whether it was GQ or Esquire or Men's Health or uh, Maxim, you know, all these magazines that were out at that time, they were like, oh, yeah, great. We'll write about it. We'll write about the products that you guys carry, uh, no problem. And then when we told them that we were going to open a store too, um, that was even lower hanging fruit because it, it didn't exist at the time. I love this so much. And I, I, got, and I remember because, you know, again, um, you know, at that point, we had known Perus for a long yeah. time as well. So just kind of watching his growth and stuff, you know, I, I know that I was fully engaged in it, you know, and I was fully engaged in like whenever a magazine did, I go, oh, that's that, that's Perus's company again. So, I mean, you know, that was pretty cool. And and your marketing was, we won't give Perus credit for that. We'll give Michael all the credit for that. But but just your PR and stuff on it was amazing because I remember, because it made me a believer, not just because my friend was doing it, but because yeah. of what you guys were doing it. And, and I think I mentioned it um, in the opening, like, like, I thought you guys were crazy. Like, you know, there just wasn't this space. And, and, and I was a lot like your landlord. Like, like, come on, how are you going to make this work? Guys, guys aren't going to do that, you know? Yeah, you're not, you're not the only one. I had multiple family members and even one of my closest college friends who was one of the guys who I had given stuff to. We went to a football game at Ohio State right when we were about to open the store. And he said, uh, right as I, I remember getting on a plane, and he said, so what's your next job going to be after this doesn't work? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you send him a card every year. Coming yeah. <laughs> around his birthday, you send him a card every year. Yeah. He sells pizza franchises, so I give him a lot of crap now. <laughs> <laughs> he does very well at it, but he does <laughs> um, But you know what? I think I was – I think we just believed in what we were doing so much, it really didn't tweak me. Like, it didn't raise my anxiety levels. I just thought it, I thought it was a home run. I've had right. plenty of things since then that I did not think were a home run I've got anxious about got anxious about but i guess you know you really didn't have anything to lose um because you didn't have that much and i just knew it would work because there's just so many men out there uh, who want to feel good about themselves and and look good so it it didn't seem like that big of a risk maybe it did to other people but but Perus and i felt super confident about it love 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 yeah. that and, and obviously i mean it did work yep you know it I even had a, we had a friend, Mary, she worked there, you know? Oh yeah. 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 And, uh, and even working there, she, she said the education was great. The customer service was, you know, second to none. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, and everybody was busy and everybody charged the same rate, you know? And yeah. it, it was brilliant. I was, I, I mean, kind of even like, to, 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 you know, what, what, uh, what, what old Harry did, like, you know, they, they took the responsibility to like, you know, not only is their customer, the customer, the client, but their customer is also the, the, the stylist that work behind the chair. And, and, and I know that, um, you know, like, like you said, you brought up Mary Goodman and like, I love Mary. Do you guys work with her? Yeah. Yeah. We've known Mary forever. Oh, yeah. Mary's great. I always had a great relationship with Mary. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. And, and, but you know, she only spoke, uh, real, uh, super highly of you yeah. guys. In what you guys in, in what you produced as as a company? Yeah, Mary Goodman's mom before she moved away was my client. Okay, all right. So yeah. I knew Mary when she was in high school. You know, she right. used to come in. Yeah, but yeah, Mary was wonderful. He's great, right? Nice. So, uh, Mary, we just gave you a shout out, dog. I hope you listen. Yeah, <laughs> follow Mary at something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what her Instagram is. <laughs> we got to go find Mary. If you listen to this, reach out to us. She needs to right. call me. I haven't talked to her forever. Yeah. Give, give her our stuff. So, okay. um, so Michael, also early on in the game, and this is kind of before like Harry, speaking of Harry, yeah. this is before like Harry's and this is before like uh, the Dollar Shave Club and yeah. stuff. Like you guys really made an impact on like shaving and stuff. And, you know, I, I think the first Mach 3 I ever saw was, was with you guys. Yeah, well, that, that was kind of our, our core competency was shaving at the beginning because men's uh -huh. skincare and heavy duty men's skincare was a little ways off. Uh, 
not that guys didn't want it, but the kind of the muscle behind it didn't really exist. And, and you needed guys to toe dip a little. And you could guys get guys into skincare and stuff through shaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we really focused on shaving, specifically doing a hot lather shave in our shops. Um, and so before we opened Grooming Lounge, Cruz and I said, well, we have to offer the shave. You know, we might, we're not going to do as many shaves as we do haircuts, but that's like a signature service. That's something that doesn't exist that people aren't doing around here. So that, that's definitely kind of, kind of something that is a PR or marketing point that you can go right. in here and get this amazing hot lather shave. Um, problem is we had no idea how to do it because <laughs> they don't teach it. And I don't think they teach like a luxurious hot lather shave in barber school. And I know they don't teach it in cosmetology school. Right. Yeah. So I didn't learn it. Yeah. I didn't learn it either. So we went. We Was the initial thought to do it with straight razors? Yeah. The, I'll tell you the story real quick. I, it's, it's a good story. So this one might be worth. Don't cut this one out. Um, <laughs> the, the story is, so Peruse and I were like, how are we going to figure out a shave to do here? Um, and so we went, we booked a couple tickets to, to go to London with our significant others and said, we're just going to go get shaves at all these places that have been doing it for literally hundreds of years. We're going to go get shaves at all these places. We're going to talk to all these guys and see which one is the best. And whichever one is the best, we'll create our own version of it. So we went to, you know, George Trumpers, which is a a place that's been doing shaves over there for hundreds of years. Truefit and Hill, which is the world's oldest barbershop. There was a couple new fashion places over there and we got shaves at all of them. They were all straight razor, hot towel shaves. And we walked out of every session saying to each other, we looked at each other kind of not wanting to really admit it. And I would look at him and say, that kind of hurt like shit. That didn't feel that great. And he would say, I didn't want to say anything, but like my neck's breaking out. It feels terrible. (laughs) So we came back from that trip kind of still scratching our heads saying, you know, it's the scratching your face, scratching (laughs) our faces and our heads, right. Pulling out our ingrowns and saying, you know, that it was a, cool experience. It was kind of that spaghetti Western thing where you're getting this hot lather shave and you feel like a big shot, but the result has to be amazing. Like people aren't going to be happy if it's all sizzle and no steak. So I don't even know how we con connected with, there was a guy, there's a guy named Aiden Gill in New Orleans who runs a barbershop called Aiden Gill for men. And he was probably, he was doing this before we were doing it. Um, he doesn't do the spa side, but the barber side. And he was an Irish barber and he's a character. You guys should have him on one time. Although I don't know what your uh, delay is because every <laughs> other word out of his mouth is F. Um, but such a great guy and good mentor to us. And he said, why don't you guys come down for a day? I'm going to show you what I do. And basically- How'd you connect with, how'd you connect with them? I think I had found it online. I think mm-hmm. I'd found it online. I think they had a website and I looked at their services and I was like, we got to get down there and, and pick this guy's brain. Because this guy is doing the high-end- men's barbering services in this old classic atmosphere. Um, and that's who he is. Like he's an old school Irish barber bow tie every day. I was oh, like, this is, you know, this guy isn't making up, this isn't marketing. This is who this guy is. We got to, we got to pick his brain and see how he does things. Uh, so we went down there and he, in some flowery terminology said, you know, like, why would I shave with a? He's like, I used to give straight edge shaves night and day. I did it for 15 years why would I give somebody a shave with a technology that was invented 200 years ago? Why wouldn't I do it with a blade that was invented last year from a company who spends millions and millions of dollars on technology? And we said, yeah, that sounds like a smart idea. And so we kind of came up together with basing off his core idea, because I definitely don't want to take credit for it, like creating something that meshed, tradition and technology. So you take the tradition in the terms of the hot towels, um, application of shave oil, multiple applications of shave lather, and the technology is in the form of you use a triple blade razor on a, on a self-designed handle so the barber or stylist has access to all the different points of the face. So we mix that tradition and technology, and some of the technology came in the form of amazing aftershave products and cooling down products. Uh, so you mix those two, and what you ended up was that equal parts tradition, the technology, and ultimately a 40-minute shave, which is the best shave you will ever have. Mm-hmm. And it worked. People would go, wow. You know, everybody at the beginning would say, oh, it's not a straight edge. I'm not doing that. And we would say, listen, have the shave. If you don't like it, 
if it's not the best shave you've ever had, if it's not super relaxing, if it's not the closest one you've had, then just don't pay for it. And um, nobody complained. And so that's been our shave ever since. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous how comfortable and amazing and relaxing it is. And we've evolved it over the years to add more hot towels and stuff, but it, it's, it's really an awesome experience. And that's, that's continued to be our signature service since we started. Wow. Thanks, Aiden. I know. I wish yeah. I could enjoy that though. Wish I could enjoy that. that close. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, you get you a shot of whiskey before any service, like Irish well, that's whiskey. That's why it's relaxing. <laughs> yeah, super relaxing. Michael, so have you? In 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 seriously, has has the uh, the the beard trend has has that hurt your business at all, or 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 do you still have your you still have your core people? I mean, you're in D.C., so there's a lot of not a lot of beards floating around. Um, I don't think no. it's I don't think it's hurt. I think it's helped because it has. You know, there's still the guys that shave every day, and then there's the guys like me who sh- will shave maybe once a week, um, and then there's you know guys like you who haven't shaved this century. Um, <laughs> um, and it you know you're able to offer products for all those guys. You know, there's there, there's a whole beard category in the grooming industry that has exploded because of guys who have big beards like you, or guys who have starter beards. Like me, there's all sorts of products, whether it be trimmers or lotions or beard oils. And so those guys want products to maintain their beards. And the guys who are shaving still want products to, to shave with. I, you know, there's just so many guys out there that I don't think, uh, I think there's room enough for, for everyone to come in with products that address all the different types of facial hair, whether it be big, small, or none. Michael, dude. I love this guy, man. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, so, so, I mean, like, tell our listeners kind of like how they can get in touch with you or how they can, um, you know, all that stuff. Or, or what are you guys up to? What, what's the future of Grooming Lounge or Michael Gilman? Yeah. So uh, Grooming Lounge, we have our two shops. We have a store or a shop in Washington, D.C. on L Street, uh, right kind of in the corner of Maine and Maine in D.C. Um, and then we have one in Tyson's Galleria, which is a real upscale mall, you know, that I probably would never go into if we didn't have grooming lounge there um just because the stuff you know it's Saks and neiman's and fendi and all this kind of super fancy and grooming stuff. lounge and the grooming lounge of course um and so we have shops there and those shops have six chair barber shops in each of them as well as uh full functioning spas where guys can get skincare facials waxing massage manicures pedicures all that kind of stuff so we have those two where people can experience grooming lounge and then online at groominglounge.com you know we've got the internet's biggest selection of men's grooming products not only from our own brand grooming lounge which we're super proud of but also from a lot of the top brands around the world um and we, we've curated it down so it's not like a diner menu which make your head spin you know it's the stuff you need to get the best results are you guys still? Uh, are you guys still retailing like uh, like the uh, the handles? The, yeah. Uh, the bar- yeah. Dude. Yeah. Can I give a big shout out for that? Those things are so cool. The uh, the razor handles mm-hmm. and, and it's the Mach three heads, right? That you're still using. Yeah, we do those, but we just started making. You know, there's a huge push now, which we've noticed online more so than in the stores, um, for double edge razors. A lot of guys are using these those old school safety razors now. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a whole kind of throwback to guys who are into this. I mean you can go down like a rabbit hole with finding guys who, you know, there's blogs just on wet shaving, which Love. would, you know, make me fall asleep and I'm in the business. Um, <laughs> but there's guys who go so deep into that in terms of what brush they use, what razor they use. Um, so we started making our own double edge razors um, where you put kind of that old, uh, you know, double edge blade in there, which is significantly cheaper. And some guys think it gets a closer shave than, than the, uh, than the Mach three or the cartridge blades. But yeah, we offer, we offer both of those. Yeah. Well, those handles are awesome. And like, uh, yeah, it makes, if you have like, if you're a female and you have a, like a spouse that, um, that, uh, that shaves, like it's a great gift. You know, it's just like, it says, it says like, it's, it's almost like he was saying, it's like, it's like old school, like classy with like the new technology, you know, right. and they're just, they're just so cool. I just, and, and the weight of them are awesome. They're spot on. It felt so right in your hand. Yeah, you know you're right. I mean? The balance of it. That's it. Spot on. It's not like the free ones that you get, you know, the, uh, with, with, with one cartridge. Yeah. You know, right. And a coupon to buy 20 it, it, others. It's top heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, there's a whole, uh, one of the things that we always say too, is in that why women or partners like to buy them for men is because, uh, you know, it also looks good in your bathroom, you know, as opposed to having yeah. a disposable, 
Um, it's like a little piece of art that you have in your bathroom if you have it on a stand and it's hanging up with your brush or whatever it is. Um, so it makes you look better. It makes your bathroom look better. That whole bit. So do you guys do like a shadowing program or like if a business owner wanted to kind of like figure out? Oh, ab- got- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've given out a lot of advice to people um, who want to go in the men's business. And I know like, you know, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts that you guys have done. And <laughs> a lot of the advice that salon owners will say, you know, my best advice to people who want to open their own shop is um, don't. Right. so we we've certainly given that advice to people a bunch of times more so because they weren't in it like you know guys who said oh i love grooming lounge i visited in dc i want to open one in nashville but you know i'm a software salesman but i have a cousin who wants to run it and we've kind of said listen like you got to be all in there's a lot of moving parts you need to give tlc to every staff member you have and your customers like if you're not there do not do it. But there's other people who we've, you know, we've had in and we've tried to mentor a bit. Um, and, you know, we have grooming lounge, we have our own products too. So we've tried to weave that in a little bit in that old Paul Mitchell style too, where we can give you the products to provide the services. And we also have the educators on site that can teach you how to not only give the haircuts or the shaves, but also teach you retail, retail excellence and business excellence and all that kind of stuff based on what we've learned. I mean, we still don't know it, know it all. We, you know, I was talking to uh, one of the Summit Salon guys the other day. I don't know if it was Peter or whoever. You know, I talked to him and I got 15 ahas talking to him that I was like, I can't believe it took me, you know, 18 years <laughs> to learn this stuff. But, um, yeah, we're happy to help other people to get and grow the men's business. I view it as good. There's so many guys out there, like, you know, a rising tide raises all ships and, and, yeah. and more people get into the men's industry is certainly good for everybody, I think, I hope. Awesome. I think so. Yeah. Well, totally. do you, are you are are there other companies retailing grooming line grooming lounge products? Well, the story behind them, and when we when we created them, we this was a little us not being you know having our being a little too focused or a little uh, naive is that we created grooming lounge products really just to use in our shops. Like Peruse and I were talking with some of the barbers and stylists, and they said, you know, we're doing these shaves, but I really wish we had a shave oil that did X or Y, or we wish I had an aftershave that was soothing. We're putting these alcohol-infused aftershaves on people. And we said, shit, we're pretty smart. We can create some product lines, and we'll do it with you guys. Um, and that'll be great because the products will be fantastic, but it's also really a good marketing story that happens to be true. Like They're created by barbers in a working barbershop and used in that barbershop hundreds of times a day. So that's what we did with our shaving products and then our hair products and all that stuff. We literally went back and forth hundreds of times with our barbers and skincare people and drove our manufacturing partners crazy to create the products that our people, the people who make our engine run wanted to use on their guests. Uh, So that's how our products have been rolled out. And since we started in 2005, we've created about two or three products every year um, as much as cash flow could afford uh, to, to bring into the shop. And so right now, the, the whole point was that we never really intended on selling them anywhere else, only our, only our own shop. So we did have a couple. We were in Ulta for a while. Um, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a lot of guys are going into Ulta to get their grooming stuff. Uh, no. I think we avoid Ulta. Yeah. 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 So that, that wasn't a big hit for us. So we sell right now through our website and through Amazon. Um, which is, you know, everyone's scared of Amazon, but they're also a great partner to sell your products as long as you're the only one selling them and you're not discounting it a huge amount. So that's where we sell. And we sell to a couple independent salons and barbershops where we provide education and follow-up and and business insight. But we've never really gone full board into into spreading it wide. Yeah, I was saying, have you thought about going into the old Davidson's, the uh, new Cosmoprofs? (laughs) We absolutely have, but it's it's such a different game now. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's hard. And, and, and quite honestly, for a small company like us, it's, it's very hard because of the margins. You know, some people are, you know, the, the big boys can make a product for a really good product for 50 cents because they're making 50,000 of them at a time or 100,000. You know, for a small guy like us, we're making small batches. We're making 5,000 of a product. So by the time we would sell to a distributor who would then sell to a salon, uh, Sometimes the money is just not there to make that happen. So we would probably have to go direct to them. And we might want to go direct anyway because we want to give them our own education and kind of 
some handholding along the way. Love, love, love. Perfect. Mr. Michael Gilman, I cannot tell you how, uh, how much I enjoyed this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really, 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 really enjoyed it, and and, and I love hearing how your story, how your 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 family story has been so um connected to our industry, and 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 and, and able to share that 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 that's really awesome. Yeah, just because it it especially it, it just it's where we grew up. That's exactly that's what, that's what we knew. So exactly. I mean, like I said, it's like it's like another rung, you know. Not only uh, not only like our relationship with the grooming lounge, but also our relationship with Davidsons, and and, and how much that means to uh to to us and in, in, in our growth in the industry. Yeah, well you guys are conti- you guys in in your way are continuing that. It's it's awesome. Thanks, um, Mike. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll, after this I want to call you and get your advice cuz I've always wanted to do like a barbershop podcast. So, um, I'll no, do we'll a def- spin-off. De- we'll definitely talk about that once we jump off. Um, <laughs> Mr. Michael Gilman, founder of the Grooming Lounge, grandson of the Davidson's uh, empire. Oh, yeah, <laughs> heir to the Davidson empire. Yeah, <laughs> Davidson's empire. You and your sister. <laughs> Dude, thank you very much, and thanks for joining us on your day off. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. So earlier in this podcast, we talked about a uh, uh, we talked about and gave a shout out to a friend of ours, Mary Goodman. Um, unfortunately, uh, before the release of this podcast, Mary Goodman um, passed away. So we uh, certainly would like to offer our condolences to both her family and her friends.